Thank you for tuning into the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder. This week, we're up in the frozen tundra. That's right. Seasonal athletic trainer Joe Smith with the Green Bay Packers is our guest. We're going to talk all about what it is like to be an athletic trainer and all the things that he's doing with the pack. But meanwhile, if you're thinking about continuing education, there's a couple opportunities that I'll be offering in the next couple of months. At the end of January, I'll be back at PhysioX in Needham, Massachusetts, and I'll be doing a two-day workshop all about implementing foot wedges into exercise programs for improved performance. And then the following weekend, I'm on the West Coast at RFC in Capitola, California, February 3rd and 4th. If you want more information or sign up for these workshops that are continuing education, you can go to RockySnyder.com. Meanwhile, subscribe to the show and follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder and enjoy the show. Okay, in the house this week, as you heard in the intro, we've got Joe Smith. He is an athletic trainer with the Green Bay Packers, but he has been touring the NFL, I'll say, because the Packers isn't where he started. There's some time with the Cowboys. There's some time with the Giants. And, of course, you know I'm a Patriots fan, so we're not going to talk about the Giants all that much. But what the heck, we'll, we'll delve into it. And he went out of the NFL into college into uh, Mississippi State. So, Joe, first, hey, welcome to Zealous. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm really excited to be on here and talk and just hear things, learn things, and get to get to speak my truth, as they say. So let's get into it. I'm really excited for it. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, it is my pleasure. And and I love talking to athletic trainers because you guys are the first responders on the field, as I see it. You're the ones that are – it's more than just a tape job. You're dealing with some serious conditions out there, um, especially in the NFL. But I'm sure you found the same thing in Mississippi State. But give us a little rundown. Like, what inspired you, first of all? Because, no offense, you don't strike me as an offensive lineman or or even potentially a secondary, but – where did this passion for football and athletic training come from? Yeah, definitely not an offensive lineman. I always say I know I'm skinny, but I love to eat. Um, so originally back in the good old day, uh, I started high school. There was a sports medicine one class. Uh, when I was in middle school, we were signing up for it. And I said, you know, I love sports. You know, let's see what this has to offer. So I got into a sports medicine one class taught by a name man, Paul Dunham. He showed me the ins and outs and through that class taught me the ins and outs about fundamental athletic injuries, how they happen, why they happen, when they happen. Um, and then there was an application process to go into sports medicine too. sports medicine two would lead you into the student athletic training program at our high school. So I was very fortunate enough to go to a very big school. My graduating class was 856 people. Um, 256 times four, you have a huge school. So we had a lot of athletes um, we actually had three full-time uh, athletic trainers at my high school. Were you in uh, Dallas or some football state? Yeah, in, in, in Dallas. I was in Flower Mound specifically. I went to Flower Mound High School, uh, the Jaguars. Um, so went there. We had three full-time athletic trainers. Uh, Paul Dunham was one of them uh, who taught the class. Cody Yinsky uh, was the head trainer at Flower Mound High School. So he was actually who I – um, really got very close to very quickly. Uh, he was the one that kind of inspired me, gave me the ability to really grow in this profession. And he told me, look, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be a lot of hard work, going to be a lot of long hours, going to be a lot of, of days where you're tired, you're spent, but you have to serve the athlete. You have to be able to put your best face 
forward and show them what it really means to show care. Um, Cody Yinsky went to TCU. He is a fellow Horned Frog, and he showed me the ins and outs of TCU's athletic training program. And pretty much from my freshman year on is why I wanted to go to TCU. I wanted to be a Horned Frog, and I wanted to go through their athletic training program, which I was fortunate enough to graduate from in 2021. So the origin of it, like you asked, was from high school days, from uh, Coach Dunham, Coach Jay, as we called him, or Cody Yinsky, and then Miss Amber Fergosa was kind of the, the introduction to it. Okay, so time out for a second. I'm, I'm, we didn't glaze over it, but boy, you sent it out in a, in a flurry with that. You had three athletic trainers at your high school. Do, do you realize how rare that is? Maybe not, maybe in Texas, that's a normal thing, but you're lucky to find an athletic trainer in, in my neck of the woods here that is actually even close to part-time. Wow. Yeah, I I was very I was very fortunate to learn from all three of those and I I uh I guess ignorantly think that that's the norm. And in Texas I knew that we had three uh our neighboring high school they had two or three um pretty much around in the district that we played it was either two or three. Um I know some schools like Allen and DeSoto um teams that are going to state championships for football every year had I think sometimes two just football athletic trainers and then two that covered kind of everything else. So, um, yeah, I was naive or ignorant to the fact that um, a lot of districts don't have athletic trainers, let alone schools. That's phenomenal. Well, Texas is a football state and Friday Night Lights. I mean, say no more. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So that must be that's almost making the college ranks. But you're in high school. I mean, to be on the sidelines of those games. And uh, that, that, that just gets your blood going. And so you go off to TCU and you go for a master's in athletic training, you get your bachelor's. How did it work out? Yeah. So I went to TCU and I was thankful before they changed athletic training to where now it's a master's level entry. I thankfully got into where it was a bachelor's level entry for me. So I started TCU. Uh, I went through all four years as a bachelor of science in athletic training, graduated with that. Um, and then when I went to the Cowboys, I started Three days after I graduated, I started the Cowboys and I knew I wasn't going to be able to do the traditional GA route uh, because I was going to be doing that. So I decided, thankfully, with COVID, there was a lot of online master's programs that had developed. And so that's what I took my opportunity to do. Um, and I was thankful to go to LSU, uh, Louisiana State University, and I did my master's in sports management. So I got a master's of science in sports management and I got a bachelor's of science in athletic training. So you weren't interested in pursuing athletic training into a master's. Uh, you went a different route. Why was that? Um, I had looked at some programs and some, most of the programs wanted you to do clinical based hours or lab based hours, uh, which I wasn't going to be able to do because I was going to be full time at the Cowboys. Um, and I was going to be in the middle of season knowing that I wasn't going to be able to make that commitment either um, locationally or geographically. Uh, and I wasn't, going to be confident in that I was going to have the time um, in the middle of the day or some nights because we would have had practice or travel. So I just chose um, to take another degree route in sports management and get the master's that I wanted to and needed to get. Well, it sounds like a brilliant move on your part. I mean, being with the Cowboys in the athletic training department is pretty much a master's program in itself. I imagine while you broaden your horizon in sports management. So now your field of opportunity, your, your 
doors of opportunity are probably much greater in numbers than if you had made the other decision. So how, first of all, how did you land a job with the Cowboys? Was it an internship? Did you apply? Did, did you know somebody? Yeah, so I think that's a really good question. And I think a lot of um, young athletic trainers out there are so like, you know, how do you break in? How do you how do you get in? And I think the most important thing is just attempt to uh, is what I is what I would tell people is just try um, set yourself up well by your connections. But how I got the job at the Cowboys, I would say, is best answered by me going to the Giants. Um so how I got my summer at the Giants, which was between my freshman and sophomore year, and then I did another summer between my sophomore and junior year, um, I was approached uh, in my freshman year by our head athletic trainer, David Gable at TCU. Um, he basically called me, he called me while I was in class and just said, hey, I need you to come down to the training room right then and right there. And although I hate to admit it, I left class right then and right there and went to his office and he said, hey, I, I need you to get your resume and get a cover letter. And I need you to send it to this email. And he slid a piece of paper across with it, um, an email for a guy named Mike Baum at the Giants. And I went home and I had a resume at the time, but didn't have a cover letter. So I drafted that up about as quick as I could and um, got my resume and sent it over to him. And I called and interviewed and thankfully got a position there. Um, so I would say my time at the Giants was supported by the people I knew at TCU. And then my time at the Cowboys was mainly supported by the people I knew at the Giants at that time. And I imagine you hung out with Steve Canelli with the Giants, one of the longest running assisted athletic trainers, good friend of mine. Uh, super nice guy to, to take you under his wing, I imagine. Did, oh, did you hang yeah. out with Steve? Yeah, I love Steve to death. He really, he, he gave me the introduction into what it meant to work as a team he really he was a team player first and foremost was a team player team first guy and he would pull all of us interns aside and and give us very lab-based educational activities whereas a lot of times as a summer intern you're very much just hey get it as you go but we got to keep going and steve would make sure um, at the end of days or kind of in the middle around lunch pull us aside and say hey let's let's go over this or let's go over the progression of this rehab or let's talk about why we do this. And for that, I'm, I'm forever thankful. And there's a lot of things in those lessons that I still use, but there's a lot of things about what he was doing in that time about like, okay, I'm going to pull them aside and educate them and, and know that they can come to me if they have a question or if, if we want to talk about something else, or if they see something and they want to know the why behind it, they can come ask me. So those things are really important, but also the things that he taught us were super, super good. And your time with the giants, that summer internship, uh, best and worst. Oh, um, best experience. So between my two years, um, I would say the, the progression that I was able to make in between my first and second year when I was less um, blitzed by all the newness of it and all the people I had to meet and all the scheduling and all that stuff to whereas in my second year I came in okay I knew what it was going to be like I knew who I needed to go for this and um, so my best would probably be the experiences in that leap from my first to second year um, specifically uh, I would say a specific moment in time was the travel trip when we practiced against the Detroit Lions uh, for a full week. That really showed me what the NFL was uh, in terms of logistics of getting everything to go over there, um, packing, 
doing hotel treatments. This is the life that you're going to live because not every time you're going to get to sit in your home facility and sit in your beautiful training room and do everything. You're going to have to adapt and you're going to have to perform the same level of care on the same athlete, just at a different location. Uh, I think the worst, um, gosh, it's, it's really hard to come up with the worst. I think that, um, Probably if I had to point, it would just being that far away from home uh, and not necessarily being that close to the city, but I was, I'm a country boy. Like I grew up in Texas and then I, we have a family farm in Kansas. And so I'm from the country where I could go to our family farm in Kansas and see maybe a hundred people a month. Whereas you go to <laughs> Jersey and New York and you see a hundred people in one blink, you know? So it, it, that was probably the worst is like, gosh, I'm far from home. Like, this ain't Kansas anymore. Yeah, this ain't you literally. Right. I'm not in Kansas anymore and I'm far from home and I'm far from the country. But yeah, it, it would be hard to find a worse aside from that. Yeah. And so then you get drawn back to the Cowboys. Is that correct? Yeah. So I was coming out of my senior year and I knew that I wanted to do a seasonal in the NFL and I casted a wide net as everybody I think should and wasn't too picky and threw a wide net out there and um heard back from a couple of teams like, Hey, we're not hiring or they, we have somebody for that position. Thank you for reaching out. Um, and I got an email from Greg Gaither at the Cowboys and he emailed me and said that, Hey, well, I want to talk to you about this position and talk to him the next morning after he sent that email. And it, that was really my interview and my job offer all in that one conversation. We had a real casual conversation and, he basically told me, he's like, look, I've, I've already done what I needed to do. And I've already asked the people the questions that I needed to ask. And I just wanted to talk to you and hear how you were. And, um, we want to offer you the job. So, and I obviously accepted and uh, it was the best decision I ever made. And I was offered. That's great. Now, Joe, this is something that I don't know if we've ever spoken about, but the position of a seasonal athletic trainer compared yeah. to somebody that has a full-time contract with a team what's the difference there aside obviously from the obvious um i would say that the obvious um is about really it i mean there are obviously nuances and different job responsibilities and um, different things that people are going to take care of but as a seasonal you're there the same if not longer than the full times um you're doing the same things on an operational standpoint. You're taking care of the same players that they are taking care of. Um, we just have different job responsibilities. Just like at any other team, you'll have a director of rehab and assistance. They may write and do majority of the rehabs, whereas some may take care of or take them through that. Whereas like we do most of the setup or we do most of uh, the trunk packing or we do most of kind of the logistical things. Um, we, we do the same thing. We walk hand in hand at every place I've been, um, my bosses or my, what I, I like to call more mentors because they are mentoring you through this process have one of the first days I've there been there have told me, look, we're all athletic trainers. We all have the same letters behind our names. We are all qualified to do this job. Yeah. I've been in it longer and I've seen a little bit more and I maybe do things on a different day-to-day -day basis or I have different job responsibilities but we all can do it all and any opportunity that I have to give care to a player is the same opportunity that you do and 
So I think besides the obvious and title and contract length and um, time spent there, we really walk hand in hand in the journey throughout the season. So your contract is year to year, more or less? Uh, yeah, contract? so it, it, it's it's different everywhere you go. At the Cowboys, it was a two-year commitment. Um, Greg told me that pretty much right off the bat, like, hey, and barring any crazy stuff happening, we, we'd like to have you here for two years. And they do that because they have a second year and then a first year. And then obviously the first year moves up and then they bring someone else in new. So you kind of train each other. Um, whereas here at the Green Bay Packers, um, they told me in my interview, it's very much on a needs basis. If you feel that you need to stay another year to feel more confident and feel like you're a better athletic trainer, then we'll talk about it and we'll work through the pros and cons and then we'll decide on that. Um, but if you feel that you're ready to go and ready to go get a better, bigger opportunity, then go do that. Um, so it's a grooming process. Being a seasonal athletic trainer is actually the way in which athletic training association is grooming you to become an assistant or head athletic trainer at a professional sports team. Yeah. You said it best. You said it. Perfect. Right. There is, um, you look around PFATs and you go click on people's profiles. You see a lot of seasonal here, seasonal there. And I think that is very intentional. And I think especially, um, places they're looking for, you know, sometimes people are getting older and they're looking for people to add to the staff. Or um, if the new CBA comes out and they say, hey, you got to have more athletic trainers on staff, they have to find people that they know are knowledgeable in the NFL because there are differences between the college and up here. And that's just what it's going to be. And so you got to you got to raise people up to be in the position you want them to be later on in their career. But you said okay. grooming is a perfect way to say it. And this is your first year with the Packers after leaving the Cowboys. Yes, sir. And you had a little bit of stint at Mississippi State. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So that um, I went to the Giants in between my freshman and sophomore, my sophomore and junior year, and then COVID happened. Um, and things got kind of swirly in the league and, and things just some opportunities that were there just didn't pan out just because of COVID. And that's up to nobody's control. But thankfully, one did at Mississippi State. Um, it was very unsure if we were going to be able to come because of COVID. And I found out eight days before I was supposed to report that we were going to be allowed to come and allowed to work that summer. And I got a great opportunity there where I um, worked under um, Thomas Callens. He's a GOAT. And uh, Matt Gorby. Um, those two guys, I talk to them very frequently still, and I had a great opportunity there. But that was that was interesting to see a different college perspective, obviously, while I was at TCU. Yeah, yeah. And, and comparing the NCAA with the NFL in your role, was there much difference? Um, yes, I would say there's there's a lot different. And I would say the majority of that comes down to um, what I was doing during school at that point. Um, while I was at TCU, I was thankful to do football three out of those four years. And I worked spring. I basically worked football all four years. Um, I worked this season three of those years. And um, I was having to do school during then. So you're having to do school or go to treatment, then go to school, then come back to practice and then do more treatment. Um, whereas the NFL, when I was there, I felt as though that was my whole life. That was everything that I had going on. That was, that was it. Um, in terms of operation uh, and like job responsibilities, it's really no different. Um, you feel, I feel like, and for me, um, you feel like 
the pressure, you feel a little bit more pressure in the NFL because you understand the stakes and you understand that these guys are big investments for team and, and this is their job and you feel pressure from the club because they have an investment in these guys, but you feel pressure from the guys because this is their job. And if they can't do their job then they can't provide for their family. Um, but as a, as a great quarterback, number four for the Dallas Cowboys would say that pressure is a privilege and you really do take that in stride and, and, and let that pressure be a privilege to you that people are depending on you. But it, it, for the most part, it's the same. And so being a seasonal athletic trainer with the Packers, having a couple of years experience with the Cowboys, <laughs> excuse me, and, and of course your time with the Giants and Mississippi State, we've talked about, at what point do you feel or have your mentors given you an understanding of when you are ready to stop the seasonal athletic trainer and launch into applying to be assistant or head athletic trainer of a professional sports team like what at what milestone is there one or does it just come one one day you're at the end of the season or whatever you're like okay I've, I've gotten to that point that is such a great question and I think it there's a there's a, a good story for the answer so I was in my first year at the Cowboys um coming out of the season about to go into my second year. And I went to um, Greg, Britt and Hanson. And I basically said, what do I need to do in between or throughout my second year to get myself ready to be a full-time? And they gave me a list of things. They gave me a whole bunch of stuff and they gave me um, one piece of nugget and basically said, go through this next year and think about if you were a full-time, what would you do? Or if you were a full-time, how would you expect this to be done from your point of view, what you're doing, how would you expect a full-time to do it? And I get out of my second year and I start to look at jobs and a lot of the jobs I was looking at, they said, we want three to five years of certified experience, three to five years, three to five years or two to four and but the majority of what I saw was three to five and I said okay I either take a risk and I come at it a little bit under just from an objective number standpoint and take a risk and apply and maybe get it maybe not or I and I'm telling this to Britt Brown at this point and I'm saying or I go do another year somewhere else in the league as a seasonal get another league experience get another group of people at a different team under my belt and then I'll have that three to five years. And so then I'm right in that window when I can come out. And if, and I know maybe not everybody knows him and knows how he is, but Britt Brown is a very honest, but very loving guy. And he'll tell you exactly what he's thinking. And without being as colorful as he was, he basically told me I was very ready. I was very ready to be a full-time and I could do it, but he understand exactly what I was saying about the objective numbers thing. And he said, it will only help you to go do that. You'll only get another good experience. You'll only get more knowledge, more information about the league and then come out. Greg basically said the same thing that I was ready and that um, I could do it, but just do what's best for you in terms of the objective um, reality of the numbers. And that I was coming out with two and most people wanted three. Uh, so then I transitioned to the Green Bay Packers and now I'm going to be going through my third year and I had great conversations um, with Flea and Nate up here and they both basically said the same thing is like hey you came in and you were very ready and now you've really fine-tuned some of your skills here and we support you in, in going to do that full-time and making a jump and um, 
they've all been very, very nice and very, very encouraging to the fact of like, hey, if you got a job at a power five D1 school or in the league, you would be more than comfortable and you could do it. You would you could do great things and work very hard and, and be very good at what you're going to do. So it's time for you to go. So coming out of the Cowboys, they really I was ready. And then coming here, they told me I was ready. So I, I couldn't put to one specific thing, but I could put to a couple conversations where they encouraged me to do so. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I could, you know, speaking, as you say, objectively with the numbers, if you're starting to apply at two years, that tells I can sense like, uh, okay, there's ego driven cockiness, think they know everything after two years, three to four years, you're in the realm of learning and you've acquired enough insight and information is probably like the golden time. And if it's beyond that five years, like why is this person hesitating? Is there uncertainty with them? You know, is there, is there self-doubt and so on? So as you're telling me that story, that's coming to my mind going, okay, so you're in the magic you're in the magic zone right now between three to four years. Is there, do you, do you like hanging out with the Packers? Uh, or were you, a, you know, growing up, were you more of a Texan or Cowboy fan or Chiefs fan? I mean, you got plenty of teams to choose from. Yeah, I, I would say when I was growing up, I was really a players guy. I, I, I didn't like teams as much as I was like, you know, the Clay Matthews, the Drew Brees, the Peyton Mannings. Um, I, I always kind of like you, you call those quarterbacks names, but I was always really a big defensive guy. I really, I just, and to be honest that you don't get those guys too much anymore. You don't get the, the Ray Lewis, the, the Ed Reeds, um, you know, rest in peace, Sean Taylor's of the world, you know, those, those guys are really like you watch them and you just, you knew it was night, night when they came on the field and it was, let's, let's go. Um, and so I was more of a players guy, more than a team guy. And I still think even now, like I, I, I love the players so much because I know what they go through. And that's what I'm more of a fan of than I feel like the teams. And so what are your role? At, you, you're logistically set up, breakdown. Um, you're, you're basically helping transport armies from one city to the next, from one week to the next. Mm-hmm. But I imagine you get your ha- hands on some ankles. You, you get oh, to... Yeah do some stuff of that nature right yeah of course um we're so right now um we're all hands on deck you know we're in season we're trying to put out as many fires as we can and trying to do the things that we can to get guys ready to play and in college it's much worse because you have so many guys but here even our amount we still have to have all hands on deck and um Flea and Nate do a really good job of, of telling us and kind of guiding us in, in their big ideals. And, but they do give us enough room to um, be clinicians and be athletic trainers and make decisions for what's, what's best to put guys through to get them ready to play. And, um, you know, they put the bumpers up and then we're allowed to, yeah, you know, as we feel, pick and choose what we think would be best. But yeah, I have a lot of guys that I work with on a very consistent basis that uh, trust and believe in me. And I think that that's given me a lot of confidence to um, push back into them what I need to, to get them ready to play. But it's, it's a constant battle of, uh, it's constant roller coaster, I should say, where you're really feeling good. And then you may go into a game and you come back down and then we got to, you know, ride those waves. And every so often you get a Thursday game in there where you don't have as much time. So how do you react? And then you may get a bye week. So then how do you react? And there's a lot of things, but like you said, we're, we're getting our hands, hands on athletes every day, trying to get them better. And, and, and how I like to say is put your, put your heart on your work and make sure they know that you're doing what you can to put them out there to play. 
because at the end of the day, that's their job and that's what is going to make them the money they need to support their family. Sure. So Joe, where are your educational interests or where is your compass pointing these days, whether it's in the realm of athletic training or if it's uh, conditioning rehab, somewhere in that kind of spectrum, what are you interested in? Because I I know that individuals like yourself are not satisfied with what you know, and you're always trying to learn more. So what are you trying to learn now? Yeah, I think what you just said, you can never be satisfied. You haven't come this far to come this far educationally, opportunistically. Um, I think where I like to steer and where what excites me the most and what gets me the most jazzed up is um, return to play, return to uh, reconditioning. Um, and that return to sport phase of rehab, uh, that later stage, um, where you're kind of transitioning into being a full-time football player. Um, I kind of split it up into three phases. When I think about rehab, you have in, in very simple terms, you have your on the table, that's immediate post-injury when you're, when you're either immobile or you could be mobile, but you're doing all table-based stuff, your, your initial, um, window of injury, you're still in your acute injury or even coming off of there, you are um, table-based. And then you have your off the table where you're starting in the training room, you're doing more dynamic exercise. Um, you're starting to get into different plyometric based exercises. Um, you're incorporating into the weight room now. Um, and then you have your on the grass phase um, that on the grass where you're doing football based activity, you're working into speed, agility, quickness, um, you're doing linear and change of direction based running that phase, especially towards the very end of it, when you get into the football and you get into their position specific and you challenge them in different ways, that is what uh, really excites me. And then within that, you get a lot of different rehabilitation techniques. And then what I'm starting to edge into, I've, I've not even edge into, I'm pretty far into it, but um, learning strength conditioning principles um, about programming and periodization and things of that nature that can help you rehab wise um, in that later stage. And your tables, the great, great answer, by the way. Uh, and I can see an interplay back and forth. So one, my first initial question here is, the table, where is it located? Is it located in the training facility or is it separate so that they are separate environments? But can you have a player on the table and then immediately go into a, a conditioning environment, weight room, shall we say, and then get them back on the table? Do you, do you do that with the Packers? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, so thankfully, the Packers facility is set up wonderfully, uh, you know, very different than the Cowboys, but they both are set up in a very a good way to um, make ease of access to anything and ease of access to care for the guys, um, specifically at the Packers. Um, our treatment area where most of our modalities, our tables um, are based is in the same, it's a huge room, but it's in the same room um, as our rehab area where we have a lot more um, weight machines, Kaiser machines, um, different rehab tools that we put out there. And then a pretty good floor space that we can use to do different exercises off the table. Um, and then our weight room is literally a stone's throw away right down the hall. So um, we have guys right now that will come in, warm up on the modality. They will go to the weight room and then they will come right back and do stuff back in here that we needed to do um, to accessorize or add accessory movements to 
what the weight room had planned for him. So, and the Cowboys is set up very similar. It's all right there to where it's ease of access. That's awesome. I do a bit of that in my facility here too. And, and last year I had the, the, uh, the, the gift I'll say of, of being offered a session at TB12 in Foxborough, Massachusetts, with some of the body workers there or body coaches. And essentially the same thing. There's a treatment room with a table, sliding door opens up, and then I'm on the turf right there doing some drills, doing some kind of mechanics, some kind of activation, loading pattern, then back on the table, working on this aspect and then reintegrate it back in there. That continuous back and forth flow, like a wave tube, was so much more powerful than just exclusively being on the table. Now you've graduated and we're going to no longer be on the table. We're just going to go and start working on rehabilitative patterns. And then you're done with that. And we're going to start loading you in the weight room. That kind of archaic uh, pattern or approach. I, I don't know of any teams that are doing that anymore. And it's good to hear that you're doing it and, and you're integrating into the strength conditioning world because it's it's just one full spectrum, isn't it? It's just that you have a tendency to live at one a little bit more at this end of town, but it doesn't mean you can't travel across the neighborhood. Yeah, I think you said it perfect. Again, is it it's never one or the next. Now, right when you come out of surgery, yeah, you might not yeah. be on the grass, but when you're on the grass, you're definitely on the table and off the table. It 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 it's one big melting pot of ideas and it's in, in you're doing things on the table that set up things off the table that then set up things on the grass. And it's just one and the same. And it's never, um, like you said, it's never, okay. Once you got to this one, you're not looking back. No, it's, it's now we're, we're adding this to, and it'll now be a plethora of things. And then even when you fully return to sport, you still have things that will benefit you on the table, off the table and on the grass an adjunct to what you're doing in football. I mean, it's it's one continuum, like you said. I'm really glad you bring that up because we're continually fine-tuning the patterns of movement that we have, but those patterns are going to be dictated by the brain's acceptance or, or reluctance to load certain ways based on previous injuries and experiences. And I'll tell you this, we both have this understanding in regards to like proprioception or mechanoreceptors that it's inversely related to an injury. So when we get injured, those proprioceptors, mechanoreceptors start to dial down in volume considerably. So it's great you get them on the table. My question is, of course, it's going to depend on the nature of the trauma, the nature of the injury, but how quickly do you want to get them off the table and loaded to fire up those proprioceptors to start to retrain how to load into tissue that has been, um, I'll say, injured or traumatized? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think you highlighted the most important part is it, it's obviously dependent on so many things, uh, you know, trauma to the tissue, weight, uh, position, specific movements that they're going to need to get back. Um, but I think the most important thing is that you're you're moving in the right direction at every stage of what you're trying to do. So if you're limited by a whole bunch of things, what are you not limited by? If let's take an ankle, for example, if, if they cannot bear any weight, if they cannot, can they curl their toes? If they can curl their toes, now we're starting to get into foot intrinsics and stuff like that. Then you move into ankle pumps. There's always opportunity in majority of cases to do something that works back in there. But I think to answer your question about when you're getting back to proprioception and establishing um, 
the mechanoreceptors along with your your firing patterns and things of that nature. I think you're trying to do that as quick and as safe as possible in a manner that does stress them enough to where they're allowed to grow or their body's going to get the chance to grow. If, if you if you don't stress the tissue enough in a safe way, you're never going to get the response that you want. Um, just like if I told you, okay, balance on one foot every day, okay, you'll get really good at balancing on one foot. But if we never add any sort of um, adjunct distraction to that or any sort of um, anything that's going to make it more difficult, you'll never improve. No, good. Well said. Okay. Other things that come into play when I think of athletic training, uh, deal with temperature, hot versus cold, ice versus uh, heat. Do you guys have a certain protocol, criteria, position statement, if you will, when it comes to things like cryotherapy, dry saunas, near infrared, and so on, or you just throw it all into one bucket and whatever works for this particular athlete is going to be what they do? Um, that's a good question. I think um, at the Packers um, and at the Cowboys, they all have their various methods that they like to stick to. Um, I think you obviously play it out for every situation and see what you have to put to. Um, to say there's a protocol at either place, I, I would say that that's not true. I think you have your tendencies. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, me personally, um, I am... Um, I, I love to say this and I know sometimes people bark back at me about it and I love to talk to people about it because I love to get my opinion out and I love to talk through my way of thinking. Um, but me, Sammy, uh, Sammy was a guy I worked with at the Packers. Um, me, Sammy and Hanson really kind of snowballed each other into this idea and really like push this idea, but I'm not the biggest fan of using ice. I'm really not. I, I'm not the biggest fan of, um, ice bags, or I'm not the biggest fan of just, oh, let's slap a game ready on it. Um, I think it has its time and place. And I think that it has benefit to some degree. Um, I do believe though, that trying to steer away from it is a good thing. And so that's my statement on cryotherapy as it relates to ice. Now, I think on the other way, like you think about infrared saunas and and even traditional saunas and steam rooms and and different ways of heating and cooling the body. Um, I think they're all very interesting. And it's something that I want to dive into and learn about, especially once you get to saunas with red light in them. And then how does that combo and all those sorts of things. But in, in general, when you say cryotherapy, most people think about ice. And I, I would say that's my position on ice is kind of steer away from it. Yeah, you won't get any argument from me, Joe. I mean, honestly, I, I typically say ice is for drinks. And uh, if we think about where do people that are aging that have achy joints and, you know, tissue that's just barking, low back, neck, whatever, where do they go to retire? They don't go to the frozen tundra. I'm sorry. They don't become Packer fans. They head down to Texas. They go to the desert, Florida, Palm Desert, wherever, and their bodies feel great. Mexico, where they head toward the equator and there's something about that. So, and I'm sure we can find research to back up either position. And that's the beautiful thing about research is that we can pick and choose and base it on its validity and, and how reliable it is. But uh, you see it anecdotally or from just everyday experience, as do I. I, I find that heat is uh, so much 
more of a process of restoring function to the body than throwing an ice pack on somebody. So that's that's encouraging to hear. That's, uh, so what, moist warmth wraps, what do you do in situations where you would typically put ice packs? What do you do these days? Um, I like to actually stay away from really anything at first. And I like to go with just as much safe and tolerable movement as we can do. So we're starting kind of inside out. Um, that's what I'd like to do. And then if we're in a situation where they still need to go to meetings and they want something, um, the hypervenom wraps are a super good accessible option. They're made by the same company, uh, hyper ice. Um, they're the venom wrap. They either heat up and vibrate, or you can just turn them on to vibrate. Um, with that, sometimes just the vibration alone, so they can start to have some sensation back to that injured area, and then you start to add the heat onto it. Um, obviously, in some cases, heat is not a good thing initially in the acute phase because you don't want to um, overdo a good thing. Um, but my in 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 my head, you're gonna have an inflammatory cycle. It's just gonna happen. Um, you to me, don't want to prevent it, but you also don't want to let it go so far south um, that you can't recover from it. Uh, I love this. Oh my gosh, Joe, you have no idea how comforting and refreshing it is that you didn't go with the RICE acronym of rest, ice, compression, elevation. There may be a little compression, sure, if you if you really need to with the wraps, but you, the what you just said about incorporating movement as soon as possible, because we know movement restores function, it gets circulation going, it allows tissue to expand and constrict, joints open and close, nervous system ignites, it, it's just so much better. So, wow, that's that's really encouraging to hear. I, so, think, I think what you just said too is something that goes overshadowed a lot is the nervous system and how much that, that plays a part in it. Um, just simple stimulation of nerves or uh, stimulation from the brain to a muscle can do so much more for you than you think. And we obviously have hundreds of devices out there that um, recreate muscle twitch and recreate muscle contraction and different things of that nature for the purpose of what we know will return them back to functionality. And that is movement, like you said. Brilliant. Okay. This, I've just so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and uh, I'm, I'm very excited for your future and to, and to watch your career path with the continuation of the season with the Packers, which fingers crossed, you know, they're still in the wild card hunt. So there is a, there's, there's a chance that you guys will continue your season well into January, but you know, a few things have to happen to make that happen. But give me a, a sense that eventually this season is going to come to an end when it does, who knows? But where is your role there? What what happens in the postseason for you as a seasonal athletic trainer? Uh, that's a really good question. And I, I kind of want to answer it um, both at the Cowboys and at the Packers, just because they are a little bit different in their approach. Um, I'll answer the Packers first. Obviously, I haven't been there at the start or the very start of an offseason, but I have obviously talked to and heard about um, so we'll go through postseason physicals and address the, the needs that we may need to address guys that played with stuff that was needed to operate after season, uh, maybe stuff that happened in the last game or last two games that needed to be operated on um, and go through that. And um, from what it seems like at the Packers, we can either have guys in house or um, we can um, 
find play, reputable places, places that we know and trust and that we can have good communication with and send them elsewhere that's closer to where they normally live. Um, as great as Green Bay is, not a lot of guys live here outside of season. And they just go back to places. Atlanta's a common one. Miami's another common one. Um, those places, they'll go back there. So we'll find somewhere where we know and trust and it's very reputable that we can send them there to do their rehab. Whereas in Dallas, there was a lot of guys that had houses, permanent homes. That's where their family was going to be in Dallas. So we knew that they were going to be there. So in that same situation, you go through your exit physicals, you establish um, who's going to get postseason operations, who's going to need um, postseason rehab. And we bring them in house. We have them in every day. So we're we're doing the same thing. Just you cut out the meetings, practice, and most of the lift times. And now you're getting to focus on rehab. Um, me and Sammy talk about it all the time. But a lot of time in season, you're putting out fires. And uh, and then a lot of the times in the off season, you're growing the wood to burn the, you know, that's going to end up you know, <laughs> burning those fires. Uh in, in the off season, you really get to take a breath and really address um, movement mechanic uh, insufficiencies. If they have any dynamic insufficiencies, you get to really look their body up and down and see where um, do these problems keep coming from? With, you know, obviously not naming specific names, but there's guys, you have recurrent hamstring strains during season, maybe two or three. Okay, the off season's a good time to do a Dari assessment, do different movement assessments, do different FMS stuff, do the Nord board, do different things where you can get data-driven results or data-driven um, projections as to maybe why stuff is happening. And then you can address those there in the off season. Um, I know sports science is continuing to advance and become a huge component of professional sports and for that matter, sports of all kinds, but how is sports science folding into athletic training? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent every day and every, it seems like every meeting we have, there's more science behind it and there's more data behind it and there's more things behind it. But um, I think the advent of so many different things to track and gather data as those become more available the more data we have the more things we can look at and the and the more options we have um, to use data and that was something that um, i've been told time and time and again is like if you're going to have all this data what are you going to do with it and if you're going to have it are you going to trust it and lean on it and at what point do do you have to take the data and interpret it is there one sports science tool or group of data that you guys with athletic training are finding that's my go-to? This is going to give great barometer indicator for whether it's rehab, return to performance or beyond. Yeah, I think my top three that I would have to say is Catapult, which is uh, just basically GPS tracking um, combined with the Zebra system. So um, it shows so many different things, but just total yards, top speed, percent of max speed, um, total workload, total high volume workload, things like that. And it can give you almost an X and Y coordinate of where this player moved. I would say that's a big one because you can draw a lot of numbers from that, especially in the return to play aspect. If you know every offensive lineman is getting X amount of yards of practice and you're rehabbing a guy, you know you need to get him back to do that. 
um, objectively and you can put them through a whole bunch of things to achieve those yards, obviously wide receiver more. My second uh, thing of data, I think the Nord board is very popular right now. Um, and it is also something that is um, very easy to read, very easy to show the athlete and get them to understand what we're looking at. Um, and it is very, it, it can be applied to a lot of things down the, down the road. Um, you can test it pretty much close to the time of injury and you can test it all the way. You can see progressions. And I think something that's trying to get towards the map and if done really well and over time, um, the Dari assessment, um, that is something that the league is kind of pushing in and a, a good amount of teams are doing. Um, but it's basically a three-dimensional movement tracker and you can see um, variations in joint angles um, cross compared to different movements and within different movements. Um, and I think that will show you some uh, deficiencies that guys have or some insufficiencies that guys have. Um, so I'd say those are my top three, the catapult, the Nordboard, and the Dari. Fantastic. I'm going to look into the Dari. That's something that is not in, in my toolbox, but that sounds fantastic. Joe, this has been great. I, I can't thank you enough. We're, we're kind of coming up on the, the time here, and I, I appreciate you putting aside some time for us to have this conversation. I Just like always, I learned so much from my guests, more than they learned from me. So I know it's selfish on my part, but thank you for being here. And if people want to uh, find out more or maybe some young trainers, it might, maybe they have some questions. Is, is there a way? Uh, I know I have your LinkedIn page. I'll put the the connection there, the link to that in the description, but other ways. Yeah. So uh, first I want to say thank you for bringing me on here. I think it's so important to me to be able to talk with um, men and women like you that just get, get to ask questions, get to learn some stuff. I get to talk about things and it helps me because I get to think about, okay, am I, I know I do, but can I say what I do? And, um, and then for the people that really don't know what an athletic trainer is, you know, they, they see the 5% of our job that's public about um, the water and that's just what we are to most people. And that's okay. And I'm not judging them for thinking that, but I, I, I get to come on here and say some things about what we really do and what that 95% of our job is. Um, and then to answer your question about uh, reaching me, yeah, I'll, uh, I can say my email or I can definitely give it to you to put in there. I'm always open to emails and always open to uh, talking with people and getting on phone calls. So um, my email, uh, would you rather me say it to you or? Would... Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Share it. So it's, it's, it's as simple as my name is. It's Smith Jojo and that's S-M-I-T-H-J-O-E-J-O-E-13 at gmail.com. Smith Jojo13 at gmail.com. All right. Joe, thank you so much. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season. And I'd uh, love to stay in touch with you just to keep track on how your career is progressing. And, and I can't wait to hear of all the great things that are coming down the pipe for you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. And that brings this episode of Zealous to a close. I want to thank Joe Smith and Green Bay Packers organization for allowing this episode to happen. Remember, I will be on the East Coast at the end of January all about implementing foot wedges into exercise programs for improved performance. That will be at Physio X January 27th and 28th. And then the next weekend, February 3rd and 4th, I'll be on the West Coast at RFC in Capitola, California. You can sign up for these two-day events at RockySnyder.com. In the meantime, go out there and have a great week. Happy holidays. Thank you.